the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. They, they see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on. Hi, I'm Danielle Pudka. And I'm Mark Tyson. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? And today we're asking, what the hell is going on with... Quid pro quos. A lot of talk about quid pro quos in the news uh, today. Uh, for those of us who are not Latin scholars, quid pro quo means this for that. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot of this for that going on or being discussed in the news today. Everybody's going crazy about quid pro quos. They're saying, there was no quid pro quo. There was a quid pro quo. We're going to impeach the president over the quid pro quos. And, you know... I, want, I just thought it would be interesting to ask the question, what the hell is wrong with quid pro quos? Yeah. No, I mean, look, I think, <laughs> I, I, think that, I think the bottom line is there's nothing wrong with quid pro quos. We engage in all of them every single day. You have four kids. I have four kids. Uh, our life consists of <laughs> saying you can, you, you, can, you can have this for that. <laughs> I, know, I know one of my kids is really, really angry that she's not going to get her driver's permit unless she gets all A's. So, yes, that's a quid yep. pro quo. Everything depends on what is the quid and what is the quo. That's exactly right. So with this, this is all sparked by this whole, uh, to some extent, by this whole Mick Mulvaney press conference the other day where he came out and said that, look, there were three reasons why we were holding up the aid. One was because we were concerned about corruption, legitimate concern in a country like Ukraine. The second was Trump really wanted to know whether the Europeans were contributing to Ukraine's defense. And he said he investigated that, and they actually found out that less than 1% of the aid from Europe was lethal aid. So the Europeans are actually not giving lethal aid. We're the only ones giving lethal aid to Ukraine. And then he threw in, and we wanted them to cooperate in the Justice Department investigation into the 2016 election. And everybody set their hair on fire. That did that he was he had admitted to a quid pro quo, and so then he had to walk it back. Uh, and so he said, "I never used the phrase quid pro quo." And people said, "Well, you didn't say the words, but you sort of said that." And it's a whole brouhaha. It is a whole brouhaha, but of course, the brouhaha didn't start with Mick Mulvaney. The brouhaha started with um, the president's phone call with President Zelensky of Ukraine and the whistleblower that brought it to the attention of the in, of the intelligence community, Inspector General, because that whistleblower, we don't know whether it's a him or her. We just know that it's a Democrat, I guess, because that <laughs> much has come out. Yes. And of course, we've read what we what the president says is the full transcript of this conversation that he had. And... I got to say, if I read it, I mean, apart from the fact that I question whether Trump actually went to high school, I also wonder uh, that it looked to me like that was what he was saying, was what they needed to do two things. They needed to investigate Hunter Biden and they needed to investigate this whole crowd strike conspiracy. But here's the thing. It's more than the crowd strike. But there's a there is an official investigation by the Justice Department led by John Durham, who's a career prosecutor, into how we got here when it came to the Mueller probe. We spent two years, tens of millions of dollars investigating the president's collusion with Russia. It turned out it never happened, wasn't true. And Americans rightly want to know the answer to that. But on the on this quid pro quo on Ukraine, number one, he didn't mention aid in the call. And number two, our friend, Ambassador Volker, testified, it's leaked uh, from uh, during, the, during the impeachment inquiry, that the Ukrainians didn't know the aid was being held up. 
So there couldn't have been a quid pro quo for the aid because the basic standard operating procedure, if you're going to leverage your aid to get something, you've got to tell the people who you're leveraging that they're being leveraged. So not only is Trump incompetent at so many things, he's also an incompetent blackmailer? That is one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is is that he didn't... Look, I think all of us agree that if if people are trying to conflate two different things. One is the Giuliani going in into Ukraine and trying to get them to investigate Hunter Biden and uh, and possibly if there was any connection of U.S. aid to that, uh, that would be a real problem. There is nothing wrong with the president of the United States, as Mulvaney pointed out, the chief law enforcement officer of the United States, saying that if you do not cooperate with the Justice Department investigation, then we may not be able to give you the aid. There's nothing wrong with that. Didn't the president mention Biden in the call? Yes, he did. He shouldn't have done that. We agree right. with that. But okay, but that... that... But, but the Ukrainians didn't know that the aid was being held up. In fact, Volker testified they didn't know for a month after the Zelensky phone call that there was a hold on the aid. They learned about it from Politico. Okay, so we're so... talking now about two different things as well, you and I. But the, fir- the first thing I want to ask you, I want to ask you, do you honestly believe that Trump was trying to get them to cooperate with the Durham investigation? Or do you think that Trump was trying to get them to dig up dirt on Hunter Biden? First of all, let's let the investigation happen and find out what, yeah, the, sure. what the facts are. But I don't think there's any evidence that he was actually conditioning the aid on either one of those things because the Ukrainians didn't know the aid was held up. Although the aid was held up. It was held up. At his instruction. It held up along with a 4 to $8 billion of other aid uh, that was held up at the same time. They put a hold on security assistance, environmental assistance, international organizations, and this was held up at in, in the same time amongst all of that. In the same context? And, and it was held up because I think it's very legitimate to say that the president of the United States is concerned about a burden sharing. I think that's a demonstrated fact. And But we know what the president of the United States was concerned he was about. Right. He was concerned about Hunter Biden and CrowdStrike. That's what he said in the call. No, no. You go back and look at that that. phone call. The stuff about CrowdStrike and Hunter Biden came at the very end of the call. Right. The first thing he raised with the the Ukrainian president is the burden sharing. The the European Union is not doing enough. The Ukrainian president said, I agree with you, not 100 percent, 1,000 percent. And I've talked to Macron and I've talked to Merkel about this, and it's a problem. And Mulvaney said the other day that when they looked into it, the Europeans are not providing lethal aid. At all. Right. We're doing all the lethal aid, which is a good thing, right. something Trump did that Obama didn't do. Right. So, so, st- so stop a second. So I think where we need to divide this up is that you and I kind of both focused, and a lot of people have focused on this Mulvaney press conference now. And I think you and I both agree that if that was the quid for the quo, in other words, if the three things that he talked about were the quid for the quo, that's cool. Yes. Right? Agreed. Okay. Agreed so Mulvaney, that. quid pro quo, cool. Yes. Okay. And when people and say- And the quid yeah. pro quo didn't happen. Right. Because the timing just doesn't work. So what he said was incorrect. He was wrong when he said that that was a factor in the decision making, or at least it wasn't a factor that was expressed to the Ukrainians. And again, if you're doing a quid pro quo, they got to know what the quid is that they need to deliver in order to get the quo. Got it. Right. So but if those three things were actually what they were, he actually said it had nothing to do with Biden. It had to do with the investigation into 2016. Right. And of course, which turns out was not correct. Right. But if it had been correct, it would be fine. Right. If it had been correct, it would be fine. Of course, as it was, it was a lie because that's not what the president said because we have the transcript. But we're, so we we're going down a rabbit hole here because what I want, what, 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 the reason what you want to do is defend the president and the no, president's words no, won't let you. not what I want to do, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to do with this podcast is to talk about quid pro quos. Yeah, no, so, and we, everybody's and we running around right. saying you can't have quid no, pro quos. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why we, we invited the guests we did, just to sort of lead into this for a second, because I do think that 
we, this this whole Mulvaney thing, as with everything in the Trump administration, you know, the president likes to likes to you know you give him an inch and he takes a mile, and everybody hates that about it. But his opponents do exactly the same thing, which is this insistence that somehow we are not allowed to ask for things in exchange for our assistance, which is absurd, unconscionable. And by the way, the American public should be outraged if we're not engaging in quid pro quos. Exactly. Arguably, with the exception of things like disaster assistance and things when when there's a humanitarian catastrophe and Americans are the most generous people in the world and they're happy to give that assistance, when we're talking about development assistance, political assistance, military assistance, you're damn right we want something in exchange for it. And it can be good things. It it can be democratic reform, cracking down on corruption. Joe Biden. Paying American companies. Joe Biden. Another reason we've held up aid in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Not stealing intellectual property. Right. But, I mean, Joe Biden when he, you know, he ran around saying there was no quid pro quo. Well, actually, there was. Joe Biden threatened to hold up a billion dollars in loan guarantees if they didn't fire a prosecutor who he said was corrupt. Put aside the Hunter Biden stuff for a yeah. moment. No, 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 I agree. That's a quid pro quo. Right. It may be a good quid pro quo in his, in his telling, but it's a quid pro quo. So let's get past this whole myth that, they're, that quid pro quos are a bad thing. Everyone's learned one Latin phrase in Washington and is using it without understanding what the hell it means. <laughs> so to talk about all of this, uh, we, we've got the perfect person. Uh, a really good friend of, uh, of of both mine and Mark Les Munson is now a principal in the international wing at the BGR Group. Uh, but he was the staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee when Bob Corker was chairman. Which he's, is the committee that oversees all U.S. foreign aid. Exactly. He's actually on the executive committee on something called Modernizing Foreign Assistance Network, which is a really good thing. Uh, he worked for Congressman Mark Kirk and then Senator Mark Kirk, who's a friend to, to both of us. And prior to that, he worked for USAID. So he knows. He knows his quid pro quos. <laughs> and he's going to tell us about him right now. So, Les Munson, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, it's a really great opportunity for Mark and me to talk about this great question of foreign assistance quids and quos. Exactly. So I know Mark is really eager to start this out. So Mark, ask your big question. What the hell is going on with... Quid pro quos. So... I mean, everybody's running around saying, oh, my gosh, hair on fire, quid pro quos. We can't have a quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. But we do quid pro quos every day when it comes to foreign aid, don't we? We do. It's all it's either conditional or we're trying to change someone's behavior around the world. We're trying to get them to have better health policy. We're trying to get them to take care of their weapons better so they don't fall into the hands of the wrong guys. Uh, We attach conditions to all of the foreign aid, almost all of the foreign aid that we give out, except maybe some little, you know, humanitarian grants here and there where we just kind of give it to a do-gooder group and say, go do something good with this million dollars. Let's zoom out for a second to, you know, to 30,000 feet. It's really remarkable, almost consistently over the years, the American public believes that we give some vast amount of foreign assistance in the world. Do you know how much our foreign aid budget is, Ballpark? Sure. If you if you include the, into- the whole operations of the State Department and all the foreign aid that we do, it's about $60 billion a year. That's somewhere around less than 1% of the total federal budget. Does that include security assistance through the Pentagon, or is that a separate account? That includes security assistance through the Pentagon. Okay. So it's not a lot of money, but Americans want 
bang for their buck, right? And so there's an idea out there that foreign aid, to the extent that people oppose foreign aid, it's like, oh, it's just charity. And we don't want to do nation building. Uh, we're sick of doing nation building and helping other people build their societies. We want to do, as Barack Obama and Donald Trump both said, we need to do nation building here at home. We need to cut this foreign assistance. But the, to the extent that Americans support foreign aid, it's because we're getting something for it. It's That's because right. it's it's improving yep. our security. It's right. making us safer. It's giving us more allies. It's it's giving us more capable partners who can take the burden off of us and our military around the world. Isn't that isn't that why we do foreign aid? That's the whole idea. It, it'd be much better to spend a billion dollars on foreign aid in the Middle East than to send more American, you know, with their boots on into harm's way. We'd much rather spend the money on foreign assistance than on possibly shedding American blood to get something done abroad. So to that extent, it can provide valuable tools to policymakers who are trying to change things on the ground, who are trying to uh, promote prosperity in certain countries, which promotes prosperity here, or to, you know, prevent the next conflict. And isn't it true also that Congress very often adds quid pro quos to the foreign assistance program? Because we all worked in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which oversees uh, foreign assistance. There'll be times where the administration wants to reprogram money to spend from one kind of program to another. And we come to them and say, well, hold on, we're putting a hold on that until government X does what we want them to do. One of the great examples right now is U.S. assistance to Central America, which President Trump put on hold and Congress immediately freaked out saying, don't do that. It's really important we keep all these programs going. But if you look at the appropriations bill that actually provided the president with the money to give assistance to Central America, there are 15 different reasons why you might suspend the aid there. So Congress itself is imposing quid pro quos on the money just across the board on almost every program we have. So, again, you know, from this sort of this big, broad perspective, you know, $60 billion, that includes security assistance. It also includes the big kahunas that we give money to here. So we've got Egypt, we've got Israel, two consistently huge chunks. The Israel money is unconditional. The money to Egypt is very conditional. And, folks, I really want to underscore this as, as Mark and I talked to Les. When you say conditional, what you're saying is you, foreign country, must do something in exchange for getting it. That's what conditionality is. And that's one of the reasons why Mark is harping, harping on this expression, because, in fact, we are not going to Egypt opening up a large helicopter and tossing out cash to people. We actually do have things that we want them to do that are things that make them a better ally and make us a better ally. By the way, some of those things are not always popular with the home government. They oh, don't no always want to do the things that we are essentially giving them assistance to do. And they, frankly, I think not all of the time and not even most of the time, but occasionally would rather just walk away from the deal. I mean, let's, let's talk about some of the quid pro quos that we all support. Uh, like, you know, for example, the aid to Egypt and, and Israel that you just uh, described, that was a part of a quid pro quo for the Camp David Accords in the, under, under President Carter, wasn't it? So President Carter had a quid pro quo. He said, OK, well, we're going to give you massive aid, but you in exchange for peace. And there's been relative peace between Egypt and Israel for over 40 years. And, yeah, that, and, that's, and that's worth. I mean, we've, we have spent in the hundreds of billions of dollars on both those programs. And, and I would say that from the standpoint of most of the American people, that's been money well spent. And it's certainly much, much cheaper than having to have boots on the ground. The same goes, by the way, for Jordan. The same goes for a bunch of other countries where we're providing very substantial amounts of, of assistance. And, and often, as you say, it's because we want you to also fight bad guys. We were there. Uh, one of the classic example of development assistance is South Korea. The U.S. spent uh, billions of dollars building up the Korean economy after the Korean War. And now it's one of the biggest economies in the world and a, and a very good trading partner for the United States. They provide very high-tech 
goods that we otherwise might not have. It's a, It's been a terrific win for U.S. foreign assistance. And go back even further just to the Marshall Plan, which was the, the mother of all foreign aid uh, programs, right? It's seen in a lot of ways as a very generous gesture by the United States. But in fact, we reaped much more benefit from it than we ever gave away in aid in terms of having a Europe whole free and in peace, uh, right. standing up to the Soviet uh, Soviet Union. Shoulder to shoulder with us through the Cold War. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the irony here, and, and of course, people are going to think that we're, we're setting up to um, excuse the president and his quid pro quos, which we're, we're not, um, at least I'm not. But wouldn't you say that it is probably the most effective way for us to leverage assistance is actually to get countries to do stuff? In other words, to say, we're going to give this to you if you do that? Sure. And, and I even think of there's an unpopular example, relatively unpopular in our country, which is peacekeeping. Yeah. Uh, we, do, we spend a lot of money through the UN for peacekeeping forces around the world. I think there are about 15 different missions right now. And it does cost us a few billion dollars, I think two or three billion dollars a year. But it means that we don't have to send U.S. troops into harm's way to keep the peace between two belligerents, whether it's one country against another country. Or India, country Pakistan, Israel, Lebanon. So it's relatively speaking... It's a very efficient use of resources, and there's no risk of our blood being shed. It's also a way of transferring. Sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's also a way of us for us to transmit our values. I mean, we give to Egypt a couple hundred million dollars every year in what's called budgetary support. And yes, for normal people out there, what that means is cash. For years on end, after Camp David, we gave it that money away without actually getting anything in return, and. About 20 years ago, we started demanding that they make that they make economic reforms, privatization, that made their economy more efficient. I, I can you think of other examples like that? So, great question. I think one of one of the things we've done that's really been probably the best advertisement for American values and the best promoter of American values has been PEPFAR, which stands for the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. It was started under the Bush administration in 2003, and it it directly addressed a huge crisis in mostly Africa, where we're going to lose an entire generation of people, men and women, to HIV. The transmission of the virus had spread into heterosexual groups, and it was running rampant across the continent. President Bush announced this plan, which was supported by both houses in Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, called PEPFAR. It spent about $5 billion a year. It's still going. And it has stopped this epidemic from wiping out probably 100 or more million Africans and other people who were vulnerable to this virus. And and what better advertisement for American values of humanitarian concern and the value of the individual than for us to go into a place where we have no great strategic interests and spend a lot of money to keep people alive? So one of the, you know, going back to direct American interests for a moment, so one of the things that we've seen is that there is a link between poverty and terrorism. Not in the sense that poverty creates terrorism, because most of the terrorists, if you look at them, are actually quite, uh, very well off. Um, but when, when you have impoverished societies with, and unjust societies, people are more likely to be uh, to turn to hateful ideologies, right? And so our aid generally is not focused on just alleviating poverty. It's, it's focused on getting governments to reform and, their, and alleviate poverty more directly, right. right? It's giving agency to the individual. Right. In, in a country 
uh, where, where people are oppressed, where they have no voice in their own government, they're more likely to turn to one of these hateful ideologies to kind of carry out what they view as, you know, their version of justice in the world. If we, if we can help them move towards, and, the, and it doesn't have to look exactly like ours, but if we can help them move towards some sort of representational government where they have a voice in what their own lives are like, it's going to make a huge difference in the war on terror. But we use the aid not so much to directly alleviate the poverty, but as leverage, quid pro quo, for reforms to economies, to, to uh, government institutions that will help people lift themselves up out of poverty and have opportunity. And that is That's a right. national security interest That's in the United right. States we've, as well, right? We've set up an entire foreign aid agency called the Millennium Challenge Corporation that's premised on developing countries reforming their own systems to win compacts, so-called compacts, with the United States where we will help them meet some of their needs, some of their pragmatic needs that they have with their people. Set up an entire foreign aid agency. It spends less than a billion dollars a year, but it's had a huge impact in 20 or 30 different countries around the world already. And those countries have to re- meet certain requirements. Uh, That's right. Pro quos, you Demo- might say. <laughs> democracy, human rights, uh, smart financial uh, account- accountability. That's right. Transparency, things like so, that. So, I mean, the biggest and the, the reason that the MCC, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, was created was exactly to respond to this complaint on the part of a lot of um, members of Congress, which is that, in fact, Aid isn't a charity operation. Of course, when there's an earthquake, when there's a tsunami, when you know there's there's Ebola, you know the American people are. I think we can say this uh, and be backed up fully by the statistics. America, the American people are among the most generous in the world in terms of just you know here, let us help. On the other hand, this vast machinery of foreign assistance that we're really talking about, the biggest complaint about it is that it's not directly tied to performance to change to transformation. And that it allows developing countries to become reliant on foreign assistance. They don't have to reform their own tax system or their own economies to be able to survive for their regime, for their government to keep going. They don't really have to reform if we're going to keep sustaining them. I want to ask one follow-up question before we segue into the politics of this, because the politics are really important. But I think that all of us have exactly the same experience on Capitol Hill, and I can't think of a Democrat who would disagree. We all have experience with the notion of assistance programs being used for what we would call political purposes. And I mean, I can think about this in, I can think about this, for example, and you know, I brought up Egypt, but that's because Egypt is such an important recipient. I know that we have sat on assistance for the Egyptian government because they have not allowed opposition parties certain liberties, because they've um, forced NGOs to register, right? Those are considered by the foreign nation extraordinarily political conditions. Well, and just in our our own politics, when Democrats are running the show, you tend to see more programs related to family planning and climate change. And when Republicans uh, are in control, you see more security assistance uh, and other different kinds of things. So there's, you know, each of our own parties has their own priorities in these programs also. And then there's also an ideological divide in the sense that Democrats not all, but but many on the left see foreign aid as as charity, as generosity, and almost don't want to attach. So, mo- you know, the the reality is is that we want U.S. aid to be give uh, us credit, give us credit, uh, because we want leverage, because we want something for it. Not it's not necessarily in a bad way, but we want people to do the right thing or bad people to do things that we need them to do sometimes as well. There are are three great rationales for us spending this 
you know, 30 or 35 or $40 billion a year on foreign assistance. One is it's in our national security interest to do so, and it makes us safer. Another is it provides more economic opportunities for our people, so our economy grows, our way of life improves. And third, it's to advance our values or our humanitarian concerns. And if, and if the foreign aid isn't meeting any one of those three criteria, we shouldn't be doing it. Now, let's talk about... <laughs> The burning hot potato of the moment. I'm sure by the time this podcast is up, Donald Trump will have done something else outrageous that we will need to come back and talk about yet again. That All this being said, right, all the outrage surrounding quid pro quos as a generic matter is just so much BS. I think we can say that on our family broadcast. But asking a foreign leader to investigate your opponent or your possible opponent in the presidential election seems to be to be the not right kind of quid pro quo. But that didn't happen. <laughs> what do you, how do you see it, Les? Well, or I'm can from, I have time I'm, to be? I'm from Chicago. And uh, there are ways of doing <laughs> Mayor Daly at the and, Mayor Daly School. You know, right? if, a, if a judge <laughs> is having a conversation in his office with a lawyer and that lawyer is trying to get a certain outcome from the case, the judge will say, you know what? I've got to go get a sandwich. I just want you to know there's an empty drawer in my desk here. I'll see you in about 10 minutes. And he would come back and the drawer would not be empty anymore when he got back. He didn't have to say, put 100 grand in there, but that's what happened. So that's how you see what happened Just in that saying, I'm from Chicago and that's how people did things. But yes. that doesn't happen uh, for the most part. Um, and I'm not sure that that's what happened in the case of Donald Trump. And we'll, we'll get to we'll, that in we'll a minute. Get to that. But I mean, for example, one of the things that got in this whole conversation with uh, with Mick Mulvaney the other day where he went out of the press conference and sort of suggested there was a quid pro quo uh, and then walked it back. But the quid pro quo, he very clearly said in that press conference, they said the, the hold up on the money had nothing to do with Biden, but it may have had something to do with the Durham investigation, which is a investigation being led by John Durham, a career prosecutor at the Justice Department. Would it be a legitimate use of foreign aid to use it, putting aside Trump, uh, the Trump in the specific situation, but as a general proposition, to use foreign assistance as leverage to get a country to cooperate with the Justice Department in a criminal probe? It seems, it seems like it's less of a gray area, and that might be closer to something that's appropriate. It still, I think, kind of gives you pause because there's, uh, it's so closely tied to what happened in 2016 and what might happen in 2020. But put it aside so, from that. I'm just talking the general principle. So, I mean, you know, a country is uh, – we're trying to get them to extradite Julian Assange to us or a terrorist or something like that or a criminal. Mm-hmm. We're wanted like that. And we'll say, you know what? Senator Corker would, might call up that country or Senator Helms might call up that ambassador and say, you know what, I think I'm going to put a hold on your aid until that extradition comes through. Completely valid use of, of the power of, of foreign aid, isn't it? Sure. And I, but I think it would also be closely tied to the legitimacy of that extradition request. Sure. If it were locked down and you had gone through a very good process through our legal system and, and everyone felt that this was the right thing for us to be doing, I don't think anyone would have a problem with that kind of conditionality. If it, if it were a little more suspect and it, and it seemed like it was a little uh, not as close to the facts or was taking a certain viewpoint, then people would be much more skeptical of that kind of exchange. So here's another question just about process, because we're all used to talking about the Hill having come from the Hill. We're all used to we're all used to members of Congress um, having particular positions. And, you know, for folks who don't know out there, the process is that when uh, assistance is obligated, there's uh, above a certain pretty low level, um, a notification is sent to Congress that members of Congress use uh, a privilege, and it is a privilege, not a right, called a hold to not allow those assistance uh, monies to go forward. And we've seen tons of that 
left, right, center, you know, everybody, for all sorts of reasons, both sublime and ridiculous. Um, I'm not, I'm sort of scratching my brain and thinking to myself, when was the last time I heard the president of the United States stomping on someone's assistance program? Is that, have you, have you seen that less ever? Do you mean stomping on an assistance program for a specific country? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the president just ended uh, a whole chunk of aid to Central America, as we discussed earlier. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he unilaterally stopped the money from being spent and took it on himself and said, I'm making this decision. He could have easily have said, hey, Congress, I'm required to do this by Congress because they place all these restrictions on it. Instead, he said, I want to end this aid because I'm very concerned about what's going on in Central America and the impact it's having on our border, right? He wanted to be the agent of change. So he went in and said, I'm, I'm not going to do this assistance program anymore, and we're going to take a hard look at it. Well, but also, you know, in this context of the Trump hold on the aid to Ukraine, it was, you know, everyone's focused on that because of the possible connection to Biden. But the reality is that in August, he held up two to four billion dollars of aid uh, in 10 categories, uh, develop, all development assistance, global health contributions, international organization funding, international narcotic control and peacekeeping activities. OMB put a hold on everything, two to four billion dollars to, do, to conduct a review. Uh, yeah, because they might because they might do a rescission. They might it was held in anticipation of there being a possible rescission. That's right, all of August, and th- there was there was a beautiful timeline on that because they announced the rescission within this sixty day window where the fiscal year was going to end within the sixty days, which meant the money was going to expire. Everyone on the hill freaked out. Oh, he's it's not really rescission. They're playing games with us here. This money will expire before they can even do the rescission. It was it was it was a whole uh, little mini drama here inside the. Belt. And that was a Mick Mulvaney drama as best. I understood. That's, and, it was, and it was parallel to what's go, what was going on with the Ukraine money. It happened at about the same time. But the idea that we should not be giving money to countries that hate us should not be terribly controversial, should it? No, I think, I think everyone largely agrees with that. But it does get to the question of, well, are we actually giving money to governments of countries that hate us? And if you, and if you look closely at the details, that happens rarely. Very rarely. I mean, when we give money to Afghanistan, we're not giving money to the Afghan government. When we give money to Pakistan, that I still have questions about, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, but, but we're not. Example. But, but in fact, there, is, there the are tons and tons of provisions. hates in, us, but is actually helping, the, helping al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Right. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, it, that's exactly right. But I think that less is correct. There are very few instances you can find where money is being given to a government. We are giving money through NGOs. We're giving money right. to specific. We're giving money to specific projects. And I would add on the Central America stuff. You know, those countries may or may not hate us, but we have a very strong interest in countries like Honduras and Guatemala having, for example, aid programs on rule of law better policing, better justice systems. Why? Because then people will stop leaving and coming to our borders. But this then, is what Donald Trump seems to not understand. But then then I agree with you, it was poorly executed, but there's nothing wrong with him doing what he did, uh, which is to say, if you don't make certain changes, then we will cut off the aid. That would have been smarter rather than just cutting it off, because uh, then you give them an incentive to show that they're going to deliver uh, the quo in exchange for the quid. Yeah, there's this. This is a uh, this is a continual battle. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, even with this money and with all of our resources, we can't affect other countries' behavior that much. We can do a little bit around the margins that kind of help the position of our country or maybe some humanitarian concerns. But at the end of the day, we're not going to, through some assistance program, turn the the Honduran government or the Nicaraguan government from 
a corrupt or incompetent government into something that's a bright, shining light on the hill. We're just not going to be able to do that. So we have to kind of understand what the purpose of the program is. What are we trying to get out of it? And if it's not working, let's stop doing it. It looks like to some extent there's, I mean, there's, there's carrots and sticks in foreign policy, right? The carrots are our aid. Uh, and we can use them, uh, use that as a tool to advance our interests. And the sticks are our military. Uh, and Donald Trump has added to that toolbox the threat of tariffs. And, you know, that, that combination of carrots and sticks, I mean, with Mexico, Mexico is actually on, actually is enforcing its immigration laws since the tariff threat. So that, that combination of carrots and sticks actually worked, at least in, when it comes to Mexico. He's, kind of, he's added, the tariffs are really a new tool in the toolbox. Yeah. And, I, and I think you have to give him some credit for realizing that that was an opportunity for us. Yes, realizing it and then really going to town with it and destabilizing <laughs> the global economy and putting us at well, risk of Canada recession. was misbehaving. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I got to say, I'm totally with them on Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Same Canada. <laughs> but, South yeah, Park no, reference, sorry. Uh, no, hey, listen, I mean, you know, look, we need, to, we need to wrap this up, but I think that it's a very movable standard. And if people think, and I've heard a lot of very empty professions by people who don't know um, who don't know what, what they're the talk- hell they're talking about? Who don't know what the <laughs> hell they're talking about? That quid pro quos are absolutely unconscionable in foreign aid. To the contrary, I think they are a constant. And by the way, they are exactly what the American people should demand in their foreign assistance. As 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 you say, Les, there just needs to be there needs to be a little clarity about you know what exactly what is. it is we're trying to get out of this. That's right. <laughs> so basically, to sum up our conversation, I think we all agree. Quid pro quos are good. It just depends on what the quo is. Yes. I think that sums it up. How do you say amen in Latin? (laughs) Amen. 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 Very good. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Thank you. All right. So I think we came to some agreement here, which is that not only are quid pro quos good when they're the right quos, but the American people damn well expect us to have quid pro quos when we give away their hard-earned tax dollars to foreign governments uh, instead of, as our old boss Jesse Helms used to say, pouring them down foreign rat holes. Yes, he did say that. <laughs> he did say that. And in some cases, he was totally right, of course. Absolutely. If I think about the, the amount of money we've spent in certain places and what we've gotten for it and what the people on the ground have gotten for it, it is highly regrettable. We definitely want an effective foreign assistance structure. You know, again, you and I disagree about the the president's own assessment of this. But again, you know, we come back to one particular theme often when we're talking. If Congress doesn't like what the president's doing, why doesn't Congress do more? I have failed to understand completely why, for example, Congress um, abolished earmarks. It's like, ooh, earmarks are terrible things. I'm sorry. So what you really, you Congress, I don't care, Democrat, Republican, what you Congress want to do is you want to write a big, giant check for, I don't know, $60 billion in foreign aid. And then you want the executive branch, for the most part, a large group of unelected officials to decide exactly how you're handing it out? I mean, this so is you're, how... You're in favor of spending money on, like, uh, p- uh, putting shrimp on treadmills? I, uh, is, that, is that what you're in favor of? You're, you're arguing for boondoggles, I, Danny. I don't know why it is that... I don't know why it is that you think that the that some AID official is a better judge of how to spend money in, in, well, in Egypt well, than, all, than, than a member of Congress. There's two different things. One is there's there's earmarks when it comes to domestic spending, and there's... That's putting, your shrimp treadmill. Is that a thing, by the that way? That actually is a thing. Senator Coburn actually puts out a black used to put oh, out yeah. a black book every year of the worst earmarks. So, yeah. you know, I think earmarks are a problem, but that's a, a topic for another day. In terms of foreign policy, I agree with you 100% that Congress has the absolute right to condition USA. But, but when con- so when Congress abdicates, but they hand they what they do is they hand power over to 
Donald Trump to, to stomp on assistance programs. That's the honest to goodness truth. Because if Congress says this shall be spent, mm-hmm. then the president can't turn around and say, no, it shan't. No, I agree. I think I think Congress should be, but I think Congress should be doing more quid pro quos. I think Congress right. should be insisting that our aid be be spent on things that are advancing American interests. We should be using our aid to promote economic reform so that people so we have better trading partners. We should be promoting democratic reform so that countries are not as much of a threat to us because democracies are not a threat to us. We should be demanding access for our military to bases and to and to strategic waterways with our foreign aid. We should be demanding that other countries step up and fight the bad guys for us so that we don't have to send our troops all over the world. This is what quid pro quos are all about. Right. And they're a we good, need they more are of a, them, not less. They're a good thing. And we also agree that that notwithstanding in, incompetent blackmail efforts, that the president probably shouldn't try and condition anything on getting dirt about Hunter Biden or about the conspiracy crowd strike. Right. We agree about that. We too. do agree about that. Absolutely. Uh, but, there, well, right. Let's end on that high note. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 